Good evening. A big jump in interest rates, more weapons for Ukraine, accusations of war crimes by Kyiv's army, and a new plan for Hunts Point. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Wednesday, June 15th, 2022. The Federal Reserve intensified its fight against high inflation today, raising its key interest rate by three quarters of a point, the largest bump since 1994, and signaling more rate hikes ahead as it tries to cool off the U.S. economy without causing a recession. The unusually large rate hike came after data released Friday showed U.S. inflation rose last month to a 40-year high of 8.6 percent, a surprise to economists. Fed Chair Jerome Powell today. From the standpoint of our congressional mandate to promote maximum employment and price stability, the current picture is plain to see. The labor market is extremely tight and inflation is much too high. Against this backdrop, today the Federal Open Market Committee raised its policy interest rate by three quarters of a percentage point and anticipates that ongoing increases in that rate will be appropriate. In addition, we are continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet. Over coming months, we will be looking for compelling evidence that inflation is moving down, consistent with inflation returning to 2%. We anticipate that ongoing rate increases will be appropriate. The pace of those changes will continue to depend on the incoming data and the evolving outlook for the economy. Clearly, today's 75 basis point increase is an unusually large one, and I do not expect moves of this size to be common. And that was the uh, head of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, earlier today. The Fed's benchmark short-term rate, which affects many consumers and business loans, will now be pegged to a range of 1.5 to 1.75%, and Fed policymakers forecast a doubling of that range by year's end. And the $1 billion package of military assistance the United States announced for Ukraine today is aimed at bolstering the country's ability to push back Russian advances in the eastern Donbass region. Several European nations added their own contributions as U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin wrapped up a meeting of more than 45 nations in Brussels to discuss Ukraine's security needs. The aid comes as Ukraine finds itself pressed by larger Russian forces, well-armed with artillery and long-range rockets that have come near to completely ejecting Kyiv from its eastern provinces. Russia's ambassador to the United Nations, Vasily Nebenzia, accused Ukraine's of a mass uh, Ukraine's army of a mass artillery attack earlier this week on residential areas using, he said, Western-supplied weapons. This shelling could not bring to Kyiv any military advantages. Donetsk is not on the line of contact. There are no military objects where the shell, shells fell. The Ukrainian military deliberately targeted civil, civilian districts and infrastructure, hospitals, markets, residential areas. It was nothing else but a cold-blooded revenge against those most vulnerable, the ordinary people of Donbass. The mapping of targets clearly shows that the aim of the Kyiv regime was to inflict as many civilian casualties as possible. The recent shelling of Donetsk is another horrible war crime committed by the organizing Kyiv regime. It is a flagrant violation of international humanitarian law, including the principles of proportionality, military necessity, distinction and humanity. Kyiv regime will be held responsible for that. However, its Western sponsors are equally responsible. 
I would like to say to the Western countries supplying weaponry to Ukraine, the blood of civilians is on your hands. The tragedy in Donetsk confirms once again that you are fighting a proxy war with Russia with the hands of Ukrainians till the last Ukrainian. And that's Vasily Nabenzia, Russia's U.N. ambassador. But U.S. General Mark Milley, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, says the United States is not backing down from its promises to send high-tech missile systems and other heavy weapons to Ukraine. To date, we have trained 420 Ukrainians on the M77 Howard, M7 or M777 howitzer, 300 Ukrainians on the self-propelled M109, 129 on the 113 armored personnel carrier, 100 on unmanned aerial systems, and 60 most recently graduating today on the HIMARS. Additionally, we have provided, the United States has provided, over 6,500 javelins and 20,000 other anti-armor systems. Collectively, the international community has provided almost 97,000 anti-tank systems, more anti-tank systems than there are tanks in the world. We have also provided over 1,500 stingers, more than 700 switchblade tactical unmanned aerial systems, 20 MI-17s and thousands of small arms, and thousands, hundreds of thousands of small arms ammunition. The speed that we have delivered security assistance is without comparison. General Mark Milley, he's the uh, chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. All combined, the United States has now committed about $6.3 billion in security assistance to Ukraine since the beginning of the Biden administration, including $5.6 billion since Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th. And in Africa, thousands of protesters tried to storm the border with Rwanda in the Democratic Republic of the Congo's eastern city of Goma earlier today. The protesters were seen running towards the border before being stopped by police officers. They're accusing Rwanda's president, Paul Kagame, of supporting the M23 rebel group that is active on the east in the, in the east of the country and attacked the city of Bunangana at the beginning of the week. And that was the scene as people rushed the border. They were held back by police using tear gas and sticks. At the same time, Rwandan counter protesters, as well as armed border guards, had gathered on the other side of the border to prevent the Congolese protesters from entering. British Home Secretary Priti Patel defended the government's policy of sending asylum seekers from the United Kingdom to Rwanda at the British House of Commons in London today. The statements came after the European Court of Human Rights intervened to cancel the first deportation flight shortly after takeoff late on Tuesday. Patel, addressing UK, uh, United Kingdom lawmakers, said the decision by Strasbourg to intervene was disappointing and surprising. Thank you, Madam Deputies. The British people have repeatedly voted for controlled immigration and the right to secure borders, Madam Deputy Speaker. While this decision by the Strasbourg Court to intervene was disappointing and surprising given the repeated and considered judgments to the contrary in our domestic courts, yes. we remain committed to this policy. And most recently, Madam Deputy Speaker, Britons have opened their hearts and their homes to Afghan nationals and Ukrainian nationals. Between 80 to 100 million people are now displaced and others are on the move seeking better economic opportunities. And an international problem requires international solutions. As gas prices have been rising in the West, 
president of the uh, European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, announced today a trilateral memorandum on Israeli gas exports to Europe via Egypt, which aims to reduce Europe's energy dependence on Russia. Von der Leyen announced the pact during a press conference with the Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett in Jerusalem. She says the war in Ukraine is a new development with long-term implications. Tomorrow we will already take a very important step with the signing of a trilateral memorandum of understanding between Israel, the European Union and Egypt. This will help step up the deliveries of energy to Europe. So here you will bring from Israel via pipeline, hopefully one day hydrogen ready pipeline to Egypt. It will be liquefied to LNG and then brought to the European Union. The Kremlin's war and Russia's blockade of the Black Sea. 20 million tons of grain trapped in Ukraine and cannot be exported. So we're doing our part and our best to help to export it, to get the grain out of Ukraine, to boost our own production. But we have to look further to the mid and long term. And here Israel can play a tremendously important role because you have a unique expertise in innovative, resource-efficient agriculture. Ursula von der Leyen, she's the president of the European Commission. Israel's Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, then thanked the EC president for European statements critical of Iran in recent days. Recently, Iran cut off two dozen cameras that were being used to monitor its nuclear sites. Bennett called Iran's move treachery. I'd like to take this opportunity to commend the respective leaders of the EU for their recent decision to censure Iran at the International Atomic Energy Agency. Uh, this decision came after Iran refused to give the IAEA satisfactory explanations for traces of uranium found in sites that Iran failed to declare. And if hiding information wasn't enough, the Iranian regime also threatened to retaliate if the IAEA were to vote against them. And when the IAEA indeed voted against Iran, Iran responded by turning off 27 surveillance cameras from nuclear sites across the country, essentially cutting off the international community's ability to see what Iran's doing. This is a very dangerous move. Israel's prime minister, the United States and Iran have been in talks to restart the Iran nuclear deal signed by President Barack Obama in 2015. President Trump pulled the plug on the deal during his uh, time in office and um, Iran and the United States have been having, according to Iran, passing notes back and forth and trying to find a way back into that deal, despite what other people who are not involved in the talks have been saying. The U.S. will launch a four-nation summit with India, by the way, Israel and the United Arab Emirates during President Joe Biden's visit to the region next month. The initiative would be launched during Biden's visit to Israel on July 13th, where he will first meet Israeli leaders and then Palestinian officials. Biden will also be paying a visit to Saudi Arabia next month, where he'll meet Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, reversing a campaign pledge to make the kingdom a pariah. Defense spokesperson John Kirby. Counterterrorism, it's climate change, certainly it's oil production, obviously is going to be on the agenda, and, and a big item on the agenda is the war in Yemen. 
We've got a ceasefire now that's been in place for two months, got extended another two. That's a big deal. That's thousands of lies now in Yemen. I so, understand there's a lot to talk about, but why, if the president won't even speak to the crown prince on the phone, why would he go and meet with him in person? Yeah, no, I was kind of getting there. So in addition to the GCC meeting, there'll be a series of bilateral discussions, as there are on the sidelines of, of all cooperation councils and, uh, and summits. He will have a bilateral meeting with King Salman and King Salman's leadership team, and the crown prince is on that leadership team so you can expect that he'll see the crown prince while he's there the king and his leadership team the crown prince is the defense minister of saudi arabia and one would expect that he would need to be in the room for those meetings defense spokesperson john kirby earlier today the president will fly directly from israel to Jeddah, itself a sign of warming relations in a region where bans on direct travel were once an extension of the deep enmity between israel and some of its arab neighbors in Jeddah, he'll participate in a summit of the gulf cooperation council comprised of the region's monarchies plus egypt jordan and iraq and you're listening to the news on wbai new york i'm paul durienzo in the United States, the Justice Department has filed multiple federal hate crimes charges against alleged Buffalo mass shooter Peyton Gendron. Prosecutors in the Western District of New York charged the 18-year-old white man with 26 counts of hate crimes and firearms offenses, some of which carried the possibility of the death penalty. According to the criminal complaint, which was filed Wednesday, Gendron's motive for the mass shooting was to prevent black people from replacing white people and eliminating the white race and to inspire others to commit similar attacks. Attorney General Merrick Garland earlier today. The affidavit in support of the complaint quotes the defendant as stating that his goal was to, quote, kill as many blacks as possible. The affidavit outlines how the defendant prepared for months to carry out this attack. It alleges that he selected a target in this zip code because it has the highest percentage of black people close enough to where he lives. He selected the top store because it is where a high percentage and high density of black people can be found. And he made a map of the inside of the top store, quote, and decided the best plan of attack for the highest chance of success. The affidavit also notes that the defendant chronicled this plan on his Discord messaging account in the months leading up to the attack. Citing that account, the affidavit alleges that defendant wrote about his acquisition of firearms and other supplies for the attack and traveled to tops on multiple occasions to sketch the interior of the store, count the number of black people present, and observe the presence of black security guards. On May 14th, the defendant arrived at tops wearing a tactical style helmet, camouflage clothing, body armor, and a GoPro video camera and carrying a loaded Bushmaster XM-15 rifle and multiple loaded magazines. The affidavit alleges that he repeatedly targeted, shot, and killed black people. At one point, he aimed his rifle at a white male TOPS employee who had been shot in the leg and injured. Instead of shooting the white employee, the gunman apologized to him before continuing his attack. Ballistics evidence recovered at TOPS indicated that the gunman fired approximately 60 shots during the attack.
And that's Attorney General Merrick Garland earlier today. In recent weeks, the Justice Department has announced new initiatives aimed at combating hate crimes using grants to create state-run hate crime reporting hotlines and to support community-based approaches to reducing their frequency. The department has also established the first anti-hate crimes resource coordinator over the last year, who's been tasked in part with facilitating community awareness of hate crimes. And the House of Representatives yesterday overwhelmingly approved legislation that would extend police protection to the immediate families of Supreme Court justices, clearing the bill for President Biden at a time of rising concern about threats to justices as a potentially momentous abortion ruling looms. The vote was 396 to 27, with all of the opposed opposition coming from Democrats who tried unsuccessfully to extend the protections to the families of court employees. The action sent the measure to Biden for his signature. The legislation already approved by the Senate early last month moved quickly through the House in recent days after an armed man was arrested last week near the Maryland home of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. The man told police he had intended to kill the justice because he was angry about a leaked draft of a Supreme Court opinion that suggested the court was preparing to roll back abortion rights and concerned that Kavanaugh would vote to weaken gun laws in the wake of the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. The debate was as anxious as we've come to expect in the House of Representatives these days, as both sides managed to find issues to fight with each other, even on a measure they were both voting for. Mr. Stanton's bill would also have extended protection to the families of court employees. We understand that there was Republican opposition to that aspect of the bill. In the interest of protecting the justices' families, we can no longer delay in passing the only version of the bill they would apparently agree to. But I hope we will move swiftly another bill to extend protection to families of employees as well. Then we had the leader of the Senate, the Democrat leader of the Senate, on the Supreme Court steps say to two justices, Mr. Kavanaugh and Mr. Gorsuch, he said, you've released the whirlwind. You will pay. A right-wing activist posted the personal details of a law clerk who he baselessly claimed had leaked Justice Alito's draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. After another Republican strategist claimed that a different law clerk had leaked the opinion, an extremist anti-abortion rights group issued a press release targeting that clerk and the justice the clerk worked for. The author of the press release had served years in prison for conspiring to blow up an abortion clinic. Despite the law and the prohibition against such protests, Jen Psaki, while she was White House press secretary, stated, quote, we certainly continue to encourage that outside the judges' homes, and that's the president's position. This is the position of the Democratic Party. Intimidation, fear, and now it's getting out of control. Gentleman yields back. Members are reminded to refrain from engaging in personalities towards the Senate or its members. The draft abortion opinion has led to protests outside the homes of justices and prompted police to erect a fence around the court building and take other steps to secure it. And in uh, tomorrow at 10 a.m. is going to be the third installment of the January 6th committee hearings into the uh, attack on the U.S. Capitol back on January 6th, uh, two years ago, uh, by people, supporters of former President uh, Uh, Donald Trump, who firmly believed the election was stolen and decided to go take the law into their own hands and seize the uh, center of government and stop the counting of the ballots that was going on at that time. And uh, where they were saying things like hang Mike Pence and making other threats against uh, Democrats and other members of uh, Congress who they felt stood in their way. The House committee investigating the attack 
that occurred on January 6, 2021, has released footage tied to a tour Representative Barry Loudermilk, Republican of Georgia, gave the day before, showing a man taking photos of hallways in the Capitol complex before ultimately attending the rally itself. Loudermilk has acknowledged showing a small group of constituents around House office buildings the day before the attack, but claimed those participants immediately turned back once they saw the chaos developing at the rally. But video shared by the committee claims one of the men was at the riot, showing clips of the unarmed man of the unnamed man marching towards the Capitol the morning of January 6th. Loudermilk was uh, caught by reporters at the Capitol earlier today, and he had this to say. I don't know him. I never met him before. But he was on that tour with you. I don't know. I never saw the guy on the video. My understanding is the guy taking the video is what they're saying. Right, that's my understanding. Right, so I I don't even see him on there, so I, I don't know. I'm voice? assuming that they say it's him. Was the man that no, actually, to the Capitol? <laughs> what they were taking a picture of is I took the family, and of course the other folks were with them, have two young kids that wanted to see the little trains that, that take congressmen. So I took them to show them where the, the, the trolley was in the... Uh, the Raven Tunnel. But why do you think pictures were being taken of a stairwell around security? If you go to that stairwell, there's a golden eagle sconce that's on the wall. That's what he was taking a picture of. I mean, these are folks who had never been to Washington, D.C. And they're, they were here to visit their congressman, and so they were excited. Why not speak to the committee and just... Because the committee's never called me and asked me anything. And that's Representative Barry Loudermilk of Georgia, will be uh, one of the featured uh, subjects at tomorrow's hearings at 10 a.m. concerning the third installment of the January 6th investigation. I believe you'll be hearing that here on WBAI. President Joe Biden, meanwhile, uh, signed a new executive order today that takes a number of steps aimed at shoring up equality for LGBTQ Americans, a move which comes amid a wave of Republican-led efforts in dozens of states to limit the rights of LGBTQ people. Today at that hearing, we heard from Xavier Gomez, an 18-year-old just graduated from high school in Miami, Florida, about his uh, excitement to be coming to New York City in the coming months. 18-year-old, proud, gay, Venezuelan-American from Miami, Florida. I graduated high school last week. And... And next fall, I will attend the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. I was mocked and bullied for being too gay, too feminine, or too outgoing. Those words silenced me. But I had an escape from this. My openly gay fifth grade teacher. He created a classroom that made me feel welcomed. I even remember noticing his rainbow socks. (laughs) I fear other students in Florida and across the country would not be able to get the same support because of hateful legislation like the Don't Say Gay Bill. But my presence here is a testament that we are fighting back. (laughs) 
We're in a battle for the very soul of this nation. And that's not hyperbole. We're in a battle for the soul of the nation. When I look around this room here and all you here today, it's a battle I know we will win. We will win. And that was the president earlier today marking Pride Month at the White House. And finally, New York City Mayor Eric Adams and Hunts Point community leaders today release Hunts Point Forward, a comprehensive plan to create economic opportunity, improve quality of life for New Yorkers in the Hunts Point neighborhood of the South Bronx. Backed by an initial $40 million commitment from Mayor Adams, the plan outlines a 15-year vision shared by the city and the community with more than 70 short and long-term recommendations for creating family, sustaining jobs, and improving public safety. They spoke at the beautiful park overlooking the East River in Hunts Point, one of the uh, lesser-known wonderful places to really go. It has a bad rap, but really people should go there and check it out. It's talked about as a community, oftentimes as a community that is a victim of circumstance. We know that we have the highest asthma rate in the nation. We know that our kids struggle uh, because of the air quality issues that we deal with here. But we're standing in this beautiful park because of the last process like this. We're standing in this beautiful park because of organizations that were, that were at the forefront then with their vision and because the city was willing to step up in partnership then. That's how we get to these results. That's how you create your own future. That's how you write a story for a community by allowing the community to write the story itself and putting your money where your mouth is and making sure that those visions are brought to life. The Hunts Point community fed the city during COVID. Fed the city during COVID. Continued to operate, made sure that we had the resources we, we needed. And we're pressing go on a complete reset for not only the Bronx, but for our entire city. And the indicators are there. People will start understanding we are winning. Mayor Adams, before that, Assemblymember Amanda Septimo of the lower of the Hunts Point neighborhood. And that's some of the news for Wednesday, June 15, 2022. The news is produced Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.